Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. So, guys, it is the Friday before I guess all the shit pops off. Yeah, everything right. goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> or at least until like it's like everyone makes the, you know, the the sprint to the you know, to to the the holiday, like the holiday week or whatever, where people just like basically sit around and drink all week. It's a great week. <laughs> I gotta say, I commend the calendar this year for giving us the I think ideal distribution of or like days of the week for Christmas and New Year's to fall on. Monday is clutch. I feel like because you get the whole weekend on both ends. It's great. Yeah, middle yeah. of the week holidays are bad. Okay. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is a good. This is like a good. Like, let's just go. You know, it's gonna yeah. be great. It's gonna be great. Do you guys have plans? Yeah. What? We will, Evan and, and Mac and I will go out to my parents' place for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then on Boxing Day, we drive to Canada, up to Toronto. That's when everyone packs up and moves, right? Boxing Day. Ugh, boo. I don't even know what Boxing Day is. <laughs> it's when you give gifts to your servants, clearly. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Is that really the origin of it? Yeah, it's like the day, like the, the servants had to work Christmas, so they got the day off the next day. Ah, there oh, you go. nice. Yeah. That makes sense. If you're a British aristocrat, sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Julian Fellows probably loves Boxing Day. <laughs> Anyways, cool. What about you, Zach? Uh, I'm going to be turning 40. That's my big plan. What's up, man? Big I birthday. Know. Yeah. You I join know. Adam in the 40s. We have to talk club. about it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just got a double middle finger. <laughs> so for once, I'm sad this is an audio only media. <laughs> yeah, boom. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, no, I mean, this is, uh, you know, kind of our, you know, not to uh, not to show too much how the sausage is made. This is our last, like, recording session of 2023. So by the time we reconvene, I will have turned 40. And yeah, uh, yeah having a having a pretty good sized party. Decided this was the year to, to nice. do it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, looking forward to it. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it, you both understand. Uh, we have kids the sort of like, I'm getting old thing. It takes on a different perspective because it's really having kids that i feel like has made me feel old not uh, the date on the calendar uh but now i get to have both so nice it's great do you guys have any like fun holiday traditions that you do joanna you have one that i learned about that i think is really cool that you should share benny on a christmas yeah mm-hmm. oh. i think it's awesome yeah that's a fun tradition we unfortunately didn't get to partake this year because we have a kid now but next year We'll be back. Did you not get to partake or were you not invited? We were not invited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, basically um, something that my brother and sister-in-law uh, started doing maybe a decade ago at this point is um, going up to the plaza for cocktails and then walking down Fifth Avenue and seeing the windows and going down to Rock Center, uh, the skating rink, and watching people ice skate and fall. <laughs> and then going to Benihana on 56th Street after at the end, awesome. which it's is so fun. Great so, tradition. Yeah, it is. Great tradition. Yeah. Otherwise, no, not really. What about you? Yeah, you usually take a trip. We, and we have the tradition of uh, Peking Duck House. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we're doing that actually tonight. Yeah. The, when the, you're the, listening to when this. You're listening to this podcast, yeah, we go we we get like lots of people. We all go to Peking Duck House. Everyone brings a bottle of wine. Yeah. Oh uh, man, are people gonna come show up to Peking Duck House just looking for you, Adam? So yeah. the loyal <laughs> listeners gonna be there. We have, like we have we have uh twenty people that are gonna be wow, there this year. Wow, so wow. Whoa. Yeah. And so twenty wines. And uh, Peking Duck House is unique in New York City because it's one of the few BYOs. And there's yeah, a rumor places. that the downtown location's closing. It's a rumor. The original. Do you the go original. to that one, or do That's you go the to the one you can go to? The Uptown doesn't allow BYO. Oh right, right, right. 
So, um, yeah, and then we get the, like, you have to in the other a group that size. Like, they show, you show up and they're like, you will get the price fix. And you're like, okay. Oh, yeah. The price fix is $40. Yeah, person. it's cool. totally fine. Uh, and then, you know, they do they bring out a bunch of ducks and you have the Peking duck, which is delicious, and all the different, so- like, all mm-hmm. the different other dishes. And it's just, it's fun to share all the wine. And, like, they, they know. The second you walk in, you put the wines on the table, they're like, okay, let's go. Uh, so we'll be there and it'll be a lot of fun. Um, and we've done that for, yeah, like, 10, 15 years. Whoa. Keith started it and it wasn't initially at Peking Duck House. It was um, at a, it was actually on usually Christmas de- Christmas night and it was always at a Chinese restaurant like somewhere in like kind of East Midtown. Okay. And then all of a sudden that Chinese restaurant decided they were not going to allow PYO anymore and you had to buy their one. No. And then we found a place in East Village and then I sort of like took it over the organizing and we went to a Peking Duck House in like about 10 years ago and then never stopped. Yeah. And that's just been the spot. That's so fun. It's a lot of fun, yeah. And then sometimes we take a vacation, but not this year. That sounds awesome. Any, any, anything for, any like thing for you, Zach, or no? Well, it's very funny because my uh, Christmas tradition is also duck centric uh, in that I always make duck. Okay. Uh, yeah. It started Tim McCurdy's first... making duck this year, too. Oh, there you yeah. go. Good for you, yeah. Tim. No, it started the the first year that Caitlin and I were together. It was like, well, what are we going to do? We don't really have any other kinds of plans. And I've been sort of like, you know, make duck. It's a special thing that I don't make that often otherwise, but it's not like too crazy. Although one of these years, I swear, I am going to make goose. I'm very intrigued. Okay. Just have not been able to pull it. Like, I just can't quite. I, I'm, I, you know, I just, I need a little more reassurance from people who have cooked goose before. My mom made goose one year and it was terrible. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I won't be making goose. <laughs> I, I Don't think it's just, ever do it. Yeah. So every year, well, not every year, most years I try up trying to do something a little different. So I've done like one year I did duck a l'orange, which was a process. Let me tell you, not doing that this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Some years I do like more like a Peking style duck. I sometimes do just like a roast duck, like kind of the way you would functionally do a chicken, but you know but duckified. Uh, mm-hmm. So that'll be this year. And that's kind of our main thing. Um, you know, not a whole lot else, but should be nice. Looking forward to it. The kids get, ex- well, Saul at least is the older one old enough to remember. And he gets very excited. He really likes duck. So that'll be fun. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Saul has such a refined palate. Yeah, he really does. It's actually sad to us. <laughs> like one his like enthusiasm for food is like very much not echoed by most of his peers, which unsurprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also like to point to date and not to put my daughter on blast, but like Lila has less of that gene in her. Let's put it that way. Uh, so <laughs> far, she likes some fancy things, but she's much more like she's just she's not a super picky eater, but she mm-hmm. is less interested in eating. Like mealtime with her is more like what else could I be doing besides eating right now? And Saul is like, where the food at? I will talk to you when I'm done, which is a mm-hmm. ethos I can. I can get behind. That's kind of how I am. <laughs> cool. Uh, any any uh, articles on the site this week? Oh, yeah. I know which one Zach wants to talk about, I think. Which one? Zach? Go, Zach. <laughs> Is it the one I messaged you about today? Yeah. Which yeah. one, Zach? Well, that, that was, I mean, it was a good piece. I mean, we get, Aaron Goldfarb gets a lot of uh, attention from us whenever he writes. And this was a, this was an interesting one because it touched on something that I think we've discussed a couple times on the pod of late and will be coming up again in a, a soon-to-be-released episode but the his piece about bar owners being outraged uh, that uh, beef eater is once again lowering the ABV of their yeah. gin here in the U.S. Just an interesting, to me, interesting in this look at why every time this happens, whether it was Maker's Mark a number of years ago, Jack Daniels, etc., the sort of brand is never really able, most of the time, able to articulate a kind of like compelling reason that isn't functionally like we want to have more to yeah. sell and 
we don't have more right now. And it's even weirder with Jin because it's not like with Maker's Mark where you could, or even Jack Dana's, where you could kind of understand, like, we have a lot of demand right now and we can't just sort of make more in a month. But, like, Beefeater's, like, turnaround time on producing more gin cannot be very long. Gin is right. not a, like, super time-consuming product to make. So to me, it's like, well, it's either, you know, kind of as Aaron speculates in here or is speculated in here, you know, it's a way of perhaps dodging some excise tax. Fair enough, mm-hmm. I guess. Or, you know, they're trying to kind of... uh clear more sort of ground for this, you know, higher ABV gin that they're in the process of rolling out and kind of trying to draw more attention to Beefeater 24. I guess those are reasons, but it's just like, I don't know, man. It's like, if you look at this and you're just like, it just kind of sucks. Like, it, it, you know, to the extent to which the average drinker will notice the difference is maybe a matter of some debate, but like, it's kind of inherently a shitty move, especially the way that uh, Panera Card did it, which is like with zero fanfare. Yeah. Like they didn't yeah. tell people who, like literally, you just ordered your beef feeder as a bar, and it showed up, and suddenly it was you know uh, four lower ABV. Like what? Yeah. This is so funny because I remember when I listened to the, uh, I think it was the Gimlet episode with Toby Cicchini on Cocktail College, which is a long time ago now, and he had mentioned this problem, this problem that he had with Beefeater doing this, and that he was stock when they did it the first time, and that he stockpiled the old bottles, um, and I was just like, this is really interesting to me. This never would have occurred to me that this is such a big deal, and I think for most consumers, it's not. Like, unless you're really tapped in and maybe a bourbon drinker, but consumers probably no, don't, they don't care know. About they're this. like loyal to the brand. They don't care. And I think that that's why these brands are willing to do this so often when they do it is because, like, you know, I think there is a point in the the bartender matters a lot when the brand is trying to gain traction and they're, you know, they're sort of like the one that introduces it. But Beefeater at this point is like a very established gin that people are loyal to. And I think that like the amount of bartenders that will care that this ABV has been lowered is probably much lower than the amount of bartenders that either won't notice or they're going to, they need to have Beefeater for the same reason that even Toby who's interviewed says like, which is that when someone calls for it, they need to have it because it's a very prominent gin. And so, yeah, is Toby going to use it in or some other, you know, very highly regarded bartenders going to use it in their craft cocktails, their namesakes, their gimlets, et cetera, that, that, that will be the house pours? No, because they don't think now that this lower ABV will stand up in the cocktail as well as the Bombays and Tanquerays that he even mentions that have the higher ABV that they like. But um, the general consumer who likes beef eater is going to keep drinking beef eater. I think like if my dad is sort of a beef eater drinker i don't think he would know um or care and you know i think what also is interesting is that this is the abv across the rest of the world right for like for beef eater yeah like in yeah. london yeah. the 40 percent is actually its abv so that's also why i think it's so interesting it's like so it was it, the higher ABV was for the american market and probably because initially that's how beef eater knew it could gain share through bartenders was going in at a higher proof that would then make it you know more utilizing cocktails during the initial you know renaissance and now they're probably like oh we don't need to yeah yeah, yeah. it's interesting to me too because you know you talk about 
will the consumer notice? I even think without a piece like this drawing attention to it, yeah. a lot of bartenders wouldn't notice. Like it's not like the last time where they also changed the packaging, which I think is gonna would have prompted more bartenders to just like take a look at it. And there was more fanfare around it. And obviously maybe now there will be because this piece is out in the world. But to me it's one of those things where when you look at the there's like a picture that comes that's along with the article and the bottles are indistinguishable. I mean, if I zoom in, I can see the difference in the ABV, but there's not – you pick up your your bottle as a bartender, and it's not at all different. You're not going to even know. And I think as uh, is in the piece, like some of the bartenders that were reached out to were like – took a look and like, son of a bitch. Like it just happened. Yeah. Like it wasn't even like <laughs> – they didn't even notice it themselves until they were prompted to look at it. So to me, I just think that not only does, does Beefeater maybe – it is. It's like they don't even not even I think consumers won't notice, but I think they think a lot of the trade won't notice either. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, I thought you were gonna mention the clopening piece actually. <laughs> oh, the clopening piece. Well you can talk about that one. I had thoughts there too. No. Yeah. But they're both yeah. great. Clopening. I will, I will. Okay. This was a piece from uh Rich Manning this week that discusses and kind of explores the idea of the cl- quote unquote clopening shift, which is when a uh, person in the industry works the shift to close down a bar or restaurant and then works works the direct next shift uh, and sometimes that's earlier in the morning and there are dangers around that with you know um, mental and physical health but some bartenders uh, and or restaurant workers um, like that shift because it's more money for them Um, and so I thought this was um, an interesting piece kind of exploring both sides of that and basically it boils down to like those shifts working those shifts are fine if it's your choice to do it <laughs> but if it's being if they're being given to you that's kind of where you run into some issues for people so zach you you this resonated with you obviously have you ever worked a clopening oh, how many oh. clopenings have you opened oh i can't even i can't even too clout. many clopenings, uh, too many to clopenings. <laughs> yeah um no i think so it's interesting because as as rich gets to in the piece there's a couple of things that resonated with me one of them is definitely some people i knew worked them for very understandable reasons. One of them being, as as is mentioned, that for some people, like they have a limited number of days of the week they can work because of childcare concerns or things like that. And yes, does it suck to pack uh, a full, you know, a, a 40 hour week into three days? Yeah, definitely. But sometimes for some people, that's kind of the only choice they have, or yeah. it's the choice they want to make because they want to have four days off or something like that. Yeah. And I actually had a brief uh, six month-ish period in my early to mid twenties where I worked basically, I would work Friday evenings. I would work a brunch, a double on Saturdays and a double on Sundays. So I'd work brunch service and dinner service both days, wow. which granted was at a restaurant. So I wasn't working like crazy late nights. You know, I was probably done by 11 or 12 on Saturday yeah. and by, you know, 10 or something on Sunday. But it was by the end of Sunday, Monday morning, I was, you know, just a pile of, uh, you know, body parts and stuff. It was pretty <laughs> rough, even, even at that age. Now I can't even imagine. I mean, I would just become dust. But I think the, the part of it that's that's also worth noting is one of the hard things about kind of any attempts to sort of limit any of this from a broader stance is that a lot of the people I know who did this with some regularity did it by working at two restaurants. Uh, you know, they would work at a busy or whatever busier daytime spot and then work at a bar or nightclub or something like that at night. And it's like, it's pretty hard to sort of individually tell either of those establishments, you can't schedule this person because they're working at the other restaurant or other bar or whatever. And a lot of restaurants and bars just don't even really track. I mean, it's not their business kind of what their employee is doing. And if their employee is logging a bunch of, as long as they're not screwing up on the job to some, you know, demonstrable uh, 
degree, no one's going to really pay attention. I mean, I definitely worked with people who would like roll in for a brunch service, like clearly having not slept. And now granted, sometimes I rolled in, those people rolled in having not slept because they're out partying all night. They weren't even working, but you know, a little bit of both. And it's just, it's a weird part of that kind of industry, right? Where the, where you have to kind of work when the money is. And sometimes that is all in one compressed amount of time. Yeah. What about you, Adam? Uh, I really liked Aaron's other piece this week, which yeah. was about um, Patron XO. Uh, I'm sorry, Cafe Patron or Patron. Yeah, is it Patron XO? It's Patron, Patron XO, XO Cafe. Cafe. Yeah, which like, okay. But it's <laughs> funny because I'd always been aware of it as a um, as a product, but like I never really had it. And I was, but it is now so shocking to me how popular it is with with a subset of people, how much people are upset about it and how much there is a black market for it now. Of course, it makes sense, especially with the rising popularity of the espresso martini and the fact that some people are using tequila in the espresso martini. I would say the best and only version of an espresso martini I had this year that I liked uh, was at Super Bueno last week, uh, where uh, Nacho brought me like their version that they were doing for the holidays, which was fucking delicious. And I actually was like, wow, I like and it of course had tequila in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it's so interesting that, you know, that is something that's now people are going crazy for buying it on eBay, like selling it in secondary markets in states where it's allowed, lots of restaurants buying it so they can still have it when people ask for it. And it kind of feels like maybe Patron should bring it back. I don't know. Um, I know it's probably not within their portfolio. And it's interesting that like one of the things that I thought was so crazy is Casadoras is, of course, now um, making their version of Patron XO. And, and, for, and I think a lot of consumers probably aren't aware that Casadoras is owned by Bacardi and actually has the same master distiller. And I don't think Bacardi probably is messaging it that that well either. So, I mean, maybe they felt like that this project didn't work in the, in the, in the way that Patron was premiumizing even more than it already was. So they're like, look, like, like we the can't. the brand perception. Right, like Patron yeah. can't have a fucking co- tequila coffee liqueur anymore. But Casadores can. But I think what was interesting as well is that he uncovered that one of the reasons people love this one so much, because there are other tequila-based coffee. Of course, this is the only one on the market that's additive-free, that sort of can show that the process is 100% natural, et cetera, which I thought was really cool. And I feel like because Casadores is made by the same people, they should just tout that and say, look, this is fucking Patron XO just in a different bottle. And probably some people would like, you know – be hip to it and go for it but but that hasn't happened yet so <laughs> until until that does happen people are just gonna pine over their uh their ex yeah their exo cafe um so going into the holidays uh we thought it'd be fun to have a conversation about hangover remedies and specifically the booming supplement market yeah and the pseudoscience behind that supplement market and the danger of that market so over the past few years there have been a lot of new brands that have entered the zeitgeist right yes um some that have science behind them and claim that they you know are backed by doctors and chemists and research lots of research and others that are very far from that may be crazy fucking penny stock schemes but (laughs) i think what makes this entire industry a little bit dangerous is that the supplement market is not regulated by the fda so therefore, lots of claims can be made about what these things do to you. Um, and we know as humans that as long as humans have enjoyed getting drunk, they will also always enjoy looking for a remedy for feeling like shit the day after. Mm-hmm. And two of these are probiotics. One is called Miracle out of Sweden. The other is called Zbiotics out of the Bay Area, of course, uh, where they have they claim to have engineered probiotics. Uh, Zbiotics you drink. Uh, 
miracle you take in pill form that then go into your digestive system. And basically, these are probiotics that have been uh, genetically engineered. Zbiotics, like literally, tagline is proudly GMO, um, where where they the probiotics um, basically digest the alcohol before it's digested by before it, it goes to your liver. So basically it like helps remove a lot of the ethanol that then makes you feel like shit. And it apparently claims also you don't get as intoxicated. Right. Um, that I find dangerous to talk about that in a second, but I mean, I feel like someone not feeling intoxicated is very dangerous. Uh, I have taken both of these mm-hmm. out of experiment. I will say I felt like shit in a different way, and I mean like the number two way after taking <laughs> both of these. Um, uh, maybe I didn't be, I didn't feel hung over the next day in terms of like the headache and whatever. But I, my stomach fucking was wrecked, and when I took both of these, and like again, it's because you're you're literally messing with your gut biome. You're adding probiotics to your gut biome, and I also like felt kind of intoxicated but also like hazy and others took these as well we drank zebatics before tim's wedding because mm-hmm. they had been sent to me and i brought them and all of us felt kind of weird naomi josh keith like it was like like well we don't we want to sit on the beach tomorrow and not feel like shit and all of us felt shitty uh so that i think is weird and then the other these other ones are like things that are cures they say you can drink and like literally it removes alcohol from your bloodstream. That's what this penny yes, stock Yes, lo- lower your blood alcohol content What's in this rec- one? record time. What's this one called? It's called safety shot. Yeah. So I, I find this whole industry to be fascinating because, look, I obviously tried them. I was curious. Uh, I know why people try it, but it also is so dangerous. And I feel like we just have to admit that at the end of the day, like if we're going to drink, we're going to feel like crap. And probably the only solution to feeling like crap is that $500 IV drip, which works for the reasons that it works. It's fluids. It gives you anti-nausea. It gives you painkillers all through a drip bag. And it costs a lot of money because you're really not supposed to have that kind of a drip bag unless you're admitted to the hospital. But that's why (laughs) – that's really the only thing that works. Otherwise, it is rest, water, and drinking less next time. But I'm curious what you guys think about this industry because it it, it feels like it's – it's getting a, even crazier than it used to be. I'm getting so many ads on Instagram, and I'm actually getting a little nervous for what it means for a younger population that might consume these and then think that they are able to make decisions they should not make uh, because they've been drinking. Yeah. We discuss this often, I feel like, yeah. probably pretty much every time one of these things comes out, uh, the most recent one being the safety shot um, that we were <laughs> discussing. It. Yeah, I mean, even the name alone, right, is just crazy to me. And this idea that uh, it it's meant to lower your blood alcohol content and that messaging alone for people who are driving and knowing that they have to have like low blood alcohol content, like, and that they feel they can just drink this drink and it'll lower your blood alcohol level in 30 minutes. Um, Apparently the safety shot thing sold out like immediately as soon as it went online, Um, which is just like, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the protein bars, remember the so bar uh, that we were yeah. very into at some point. Like, I think I think it's just remarkable to me because, especially in the context of like non-alk stuff now, that there is still this. You know, everybody likes to talk about no and low, and everybody's being more measured about how much alcohol they're consuming, and people are, you know, sober and sober curious. Yeah. But there is still this very alive and booming industry that. 
uh, for these like hangover cures and things that help you drink, but uh, things that help mitigate the effects of alcohol um, because assuming that you're still going to drink alcohol. Right. Right. (laughs) And I think that part, that part of it is just the most fascinating to me. Yeah. So a couple of things occurred to me when we were kind of kicking around this idea. The first is that I think there's an interesting sort of dichotomy between the two kind of elements of the sort of hangover cure, hangover prevention racket. One is the sort of thing that Adam described taking, which is a like, you know, you take before you start drinking and is sort of a supercharged version of like drinking a lot of water, having a big meal before you drink, like things that have an, an understandable impact on how you feel like the slow the rate of absorption of alcohol in the case of having like a lot of food you know drinking a lot of water helps you stay hydrated after you do a lot of drinking or some amount of drinking and like those are things that we all wish we were more responsible about when we were going to be drinking but like they're plausible claims in a way Mm -hmm. to me and then there's this other thing which is like oh like you suddenly find yourself doing six shots in an hour and now you're gonna have this drink and you'll be fine like I agree that there's a broad kind of issue with people sort of thinking they're more sober than they are, not just in the context of driving, but making a lot of other kinds of decisions. decisions, There's also an element of like, you may even be able to, I don't know if this stuff works, I have my doubts, but even if it works in a sort of sense of like lowering your BAC or making you feel less uh, hungover or drunk or whatever – there's also a lot of other downstream effects of a lot of alcohol consumption that I don't think these can mitigate. And that to me is not that I think you know, people are capable of making choices about that, but like it is relevant to remember that there are other you know, deleterious effects from drinking alcohol besides just feeling hungover, mm-hmm. um, especially like, you know, with regularity. The last thing though, that occurred to me is I have to believe that if any of this shit really worked, the big alcohol brands would be, part of this process because they have the most to gain from products that would ameliorate one of the real negative effects to drinking. Right. Because it would prompt people to drink more. I mean, I know lots of people who, if you could get the fun parts of being drunk without the terrible parts the next day, especially as we all get older, as mentioned, turning 40 folks, like it hits me like a ton of bricks a lot of times, probably when, you know, when I'm there in a week or so, uh, I will be thinking about this episode and being You'll angry. need a safety shot. Yeah, yeah right. Send, send them to me for my birthday, please. <laughs> but I think it, I think the, the number one reason to doubt that any of this stuff works is, like I said, you don't think any of the big alcohol companies would be at least somewhat invested in this being a part of the landscape because, like I said, it would it would promote more sales for them, I am sure. I don't know. I think it's it's kind of crazy because it's just it's one of these it's one of these things where obviously everyone is going to continue looking for these solutions, um, and we are going to we're going to always find ourselves in a situation where basically, you know we are we're going to we're going to readily adopt anything that will help us feel better and i don't think that there's a lot of consumers that are going to really look into the research right and even with something like zbiotics they're really trying to tell you that this is legit and i know people who, who truly do believe it works but the the problem is that while they're trying to be legit someone else is basically pretending to be legit in the same space and because it's so muddy 
they're both exist they're both competing and someone is going to go with the the actual fake science product that claims to do a lot more than Zbiotics claims it can do and then make bad decisions and you know i don't know i, I think we're going to always continue to research this because as Zach said there's just there's a lot of you know people continue to research the things that affect the, the most people including the people who make the signs in the first place and people don't like feeling like shit so yeah. they want to you know create drugs that make them not feel like shit i mean i think just generally we are suckers for purported health benefits yeah, in anything right and that's why i think a lot of people even though this has been so widely dispelled like a lot of people think that drinking vodka or tequila like vodka's cleaner you'll feel yep. better tequila is won't give you a hangover because it's whatever agave based i don't know exactly yep. why people think that but um but yeah and i think the same applies here like the safety shot if you go to its website there is a literal stock photo of a woman in a lab coat and that's the reason why so they're saying it's like science backed or whatever and let you know all of these studies have proven that it's effective and yeah, like you said, Adam, I think it's just like it's it's so easy for these companies to just say the same thing. And and even if there's no study and it's totally un, unregulated, um, people will buy into it. Yep. Because because we're suckers. Well, and we fundamentally and this is not a criticism of anyone, including myself, but like we don't really often want to live with the consequences of our actions if we don't have yes, to. Exactly. No, why would we? Yeah, and in a lot of ways, we you know we don't, and the hangover is a relatively, in the end, not a very long lasting or severe consequence for uh, overindulging in alcohol. But like, yeah, there's a massive potential audience for people who could just like be like, you know what, I'm going to just skip right over that part and go back to the fun part. And I think that that is where you know, yeah, that's where the you know, obviously that's what these products are leveraging is our own desire to not have that feeling. I just also worry, you know, this this whole thing to me, it's like it, the, the bigger concern is, you know, when you talk about some of this stuff that that is, you know, kind of doing lots to kind of alter the way your body potentially processes alcohol yeah. and it's not at all studied or regulated that, you know, the FDA has not weighed in on any of this. You know, I think if the worst that the safety shot gives you is some diarrhea, that's probably a win. All yeah. told. Like <laughs> I would be concerned about a lot worse than that. Because we see all the time in the unregulated supplement market, people, you know, have heart attacks. People have all kinds of, you know, all kinds of effects because our bodies are not meant to be sort of supercharged in these ways. There's a reason that things happen at the pace they do. And if you just kind of come up with a concoction that, you know, rapidly metabolizes alcohol, it is unclear to me that anyone knows what else that might do except by doing this sort of mass human trial that we allow apparently because you can just sell supplements with no you know, oversight. And, uh, you know, that's a broader question. Write your representatives <laughs> if you have issues with it. But like, that is a part of this whole conversation, too, is like I said, I think there's a lot more at risk here than just an overactive digestive system. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let us know what you think. If you've taken any of these, uh, these miracle shots, mm-hmm. uh, give us your thoughts at podcastsetvinepair.com. Um, and have a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yes, you too. Happy Hanukkah, but it's already <laughs> happened. So, you know, like I was going to wish myself happy Hanukkah, but like it already happened, people. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. And a happy new year. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, 
but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire Vine Pair staff and everyone who's been involved in making Vine Pair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.